Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for hockey and basketball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Andrew Kramer, Judd Zolgad is out sick this week, so Ben Gessling joins to talk about the Vikings, NFL Scouting Combine, something Greg Jennings said that can relate to the Vikings and Teddy Bridgewater, our impressions of U.S. Bank Stadium, the Vikings' $1.1 billion home set to open this summer. We just toured it. We're going to tell you about it. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. So Ben Gessling joins me, ESPN.com. He's going to uh, ride along. He's going to become a fixture of this Purple Podcast. And so when we get Judd back, if and when, he will join us uh, for our normal three-person talk about the Vikings every week. Uh, We're going to be discussing the Vikings hiring a strength and conditioning coach, what they intend to do uh, in terms of their free weight program, uh, and maybe, well, I'll ask Ben about what Mike Zimmer told him down at the Senior Bowl about those injuries in the weight room and and what they're going to do moving forward. First of all, Ben, have you ever had it, I'm a a little rusty today, because have you ever had it to where there's a sound, or excuse me, a smoke alarm going off, you know the beeping when the battery's dying, Yeah. but you don't know where it's coming from? Like you have emptied every smoke alarm, every battery, you've ripped it all out, but the beeping keeps going. Have I, you ever had that? I don't know that I've had it to that degree. I, I can imagine how annoying that is because when I change smoke detectors, I almost sit there like, I, I'm not somebody who likes a lot of loud noises. No, as exactly. We say as we move into U.S. Bank Stadium, where it's going <laughs> to be loud once again, like the Metrodome was. But yeah, I, I typically will sit there and kind of like, can I try to plug my ear while I'm doing this? Yes. And now at three in the morning, one went off in my apartment, and I, just, I only have two alarms. Two. I have two alarms, and I have ripped the batteries out of both, and they are both. There's no electricity heading into either, and the beeping continues. Went out to my apartment. Went out to the hallway of my apartment. Shut the door. Just kind of listen. Is this in the hallway? Nope. Heard it from inside my apartment. I'm going nuts. I don't even want to go back. I'm probably going to rent a hotel. The Vikings. I mean, 
are they mad at something you wrote? <laughs> I mean, you know, they they have enough tie-ins that they probably could do something to drive you insane. I, I wouldn't. Beep. I wouldn't underestimate their capability of doing that. That's my one life quabble going on. But we're going to push forward, forge ahead, as they say on this purple podcast, because that's what we do. First of all, Ben, the Vikings hired Brent Salazar as their strength and conditioning coach. He comes over from the Kansas City Chiefs, where he has spent nine seasons as an assistant strength and conditioning coordinator. We don't need to bog you down with the details of this guy because uh, we'll get to know him more moving forward but ben what did mike zimmer tell you at the senior bowl in mobile yeah. last month yeah. in terms of what they want to do with their strength and conditioning program because obviously they fired evan marcus well i i think they want to keep a lot of things philosophically the same i asked him about i mean did you feel like using free weights the way they have in the last couple of years and that was a big evan marcus thing is we're going to do free weights and power lifting i said do you want somebody that has that philosophy or a different philosophy and he said i want somebody that has my philosophy and my philosophy is free weights he he's an old school guy he likes and he said this before that he likes the idea of guys lifting and there's a competitive element to it to see who can lift more and they're yeah. working out together and there's sort of a uh, some camaraderie that gets built from that that's that's his philosophy he just felt like evan marcus he said basically he, there were too many injuries last year now is that Evan Marcus is it was that his approach that led to that or was it something with the inherent nature of free weights I don't know that it's that I think you can have you can talk to a lot of people that would say free weights are not inherently more dangerous than lifting with machines if you're lifting with good form what we don't necessarily know is the particulars of Evan Marcus's program and if that led to players overdoing it getting hurt more than they probably should have you could probably gather that that might have been the case but in any case the idea of them using free weights I don't think is going anywhere. I think they will just try to have somebody that does it with fewer injuries than Evan Marcus seemed to preside over in his two years with the team. Yeah, what we do know is that John Sullivan re-injured his back in the weight room. Yeah. Correct? That was something Mike Zimmer said openly. He didn't just say, oh, he had a setback, he had a surgery. It was no. He had a setback in the weight room. Uh, Jarek McKinnon injures his back in the weight room as well in 2014. His rookie year, That's he had a great start when he took over from Matt Asiata and obviously when Adrian was out and then had his rookie season cut short because of another, it, I think it was a back injury too. Low back. Both, both low yeah. back or both back injuries. So, Brian Robinson was in the weight room too. Yeah, the pec, uh, kind of a partially torn pec. He had to play through that. So we do know that. That is something, these were all happening in the weight room. Yeah. Whereas you look at a Josh Robinson, Phil Lodeholt, Brandon Fusco, can't necessarily hang that on the weight room, but... It's uh, probably circumstantial. And, and it right. could be something where those guys are overworked and their muscles are more susceptible to injury, but we don't know that for sure. And weight room injuries happen everywhere. It's sure. not it's not something that you can hang just on Evan Marcus, but the point is is that they clearly felt they needed a change whether he was a scapegoat or not. So that's interesting to me that they're going to keep that philosophy because you're right. Mike Zimmer said that all along. I remember him I think it was in training camp. He had said something like it's just the sound of it clanging yeah, around. He just guys likes grunting and sweating yeah, and exactly. just you know, there was something very, you know, manly, manly. about the whole thing. That's I just mean, it, yes. Something that two skinny guys like us don't necessarily know as much about, but... Hey, I, I used to not be skinny. I used to be fat. I, I have always been... Uh, <laughs> a, I've had a cross-country physique most of my life. Never Never been much more than that. So you never spent a lot of time on the bench throwing it up? Uh, you know, I, I can throw up... 105 110 i'm you know i don't want to brag publicly but i, we need I can new, bench like 60 percent of my body weight i mean a new humble brag hashtag yeah there's there's nothing it's certainly humble there's nothing bragging about that 
can't believe I just told you in the entire uh, listening public uh, how much I can bench or can't bench. Probably more apropos, but yeah, there you go. That's all right. There you go, Purple Podcast. You know why? Because Derek Wetmore can't bench that much. Derek Wetmore much. probably <laughs> couldn't bench his groceries. <laughs> well, I hope he listens to this. All right, so moving forward, the Minnesota Vikings, too, are going to be heading down to the Combine like the rest of the NFL world next week. Uh, that is where the... <clears throat> illegal tampering period really kicks off does it not yeah i mean it's probably already started but that's sure. sort of the but that's that's the the um, the watering holes of indianapolis ceremonies. is yeah where it kind of really kicks off i remember last year talking with tom johnson's agent and that was something where that's where they kind of and that that's you're allowed to talk to your own free agents obviously but that's something where uh, the vikings kicked off too their contract talks with current free agents on their own team that's legal you and can there's do an that. important distinction to make there you are allowed to talk to the agents that represent your free agents you are not necessarily required to talk to those agents only about players they represent on your team there you go yep. you say an agent may represent somebody on another team that you have interest in that's going to be a free agent so you may start the conversation saying let's talk about this guy but then maybe it leads to another thing and yep. you know hypothetically if this guy were to hit the open market not that we're making an offer but <laughs> hypothetically from a team that made the playoffs last year would he have interest and if so what kind of a contract would you be looking for that allows all of that to happen so let's say we do three bushels of apples and another, yeah, just come up with different words the, for the what whole you're talking about. Concepts <laughs> and figures, I think, is is kind of what they talk about. Yeah. Or concepts and ideas. I mean, you, you hear a lot about that. Hypothetically, if if we were going to do this, yep. and you got to the open market, would this be something you're interested? in? We're, we're not promising anything, but and really, that's the undercurrent of what will be going on in Indianapolis. It will be. As important, if not more, than watching a bunch of grown men run around in their underwear. Yeah, the underwear um, Olympics are a big part of it, too. But. Yes, clearly that's a big part of it. Uh, but also, they'll start kind of honing in on what are strong position groups, what are weak position groups in the draft, what should they start targeting. Ben, I want to start that off by saying, what do you feel like? We talk about the offensive line at length. Let's put the offensive line to the side, because I feel like the entire month has been dedicated on the Purple Podcast to the O-line. Putting that to the side, what do you think is going to be one of the main target areas in terms of positions uh, at the combine we're talking about the draft? Well, I mean, look at the receiver position, I think yeah. has to be part of it. I mean, and and this is a draft where you're not going to find a Kevin White and Amari Cooper. I guess we don't really know what Kevin White is yet, but you're not going to find Amari Cooper yeah. or Sammy Watkins at the top of it. There is some depth in it, and I think some of that is figuring out, okay, how much do we like a guy that we can get maybe in the second or third round? Do we have to take one up top? Does it, does Lacquan Treadwell is that a guy that we look at at twenty three if he's there? Josh Doxson from C, from TCU, a kid from Baylor. I mean, yep. there there's some guys there that might be in the in the mix. I mean, then there's guys like Braxton Miller that might go a little bit later. I mean, you have to I think sort of get an idea of if we're going to address this position, where do we do it and where does it make sense? So that's kind of one of those things that I think you can do a little bit more with skill position players at the combine. You can see kind of how they look, catching the ball, running routes, that kind of thing, more so than you can get a feel for offensive linemen, just because I think so much of that is you have to see them, you have to watch game tape. I, I just don't know that there's that much you can get from an offensive lineman when he's not in pads and not physically trying to move another guy aside. NFL coaches say that about their own players in May and June. Yeah, I mean, they They're do. saying, like, look, we can't tell if David Yankee can play football right now. And obviously it turned out he couldn't, but yeah. the Vikings anyway. But that's the thing. when You can't really ask about, like, that's going to be the difficult part. 
in May, June, we're going to be saying, hey, how does Phil Oatholt look? Or if he's on the team, how does we John, know how does John Sullivan look? They won't know the answer right. to that until August, until training camp really kind of kicks underway. You're absolutely right. So the combine now with these offensive linemen, defensive linemen, really the offensive lines, what the Vikings will focus on, man, that's going to be tough to try to evaluate because you're right. It is so much about tape. And, yeah. and this is also a good jumping off point next week in Indianapolis in terms of kind of getting in front of these guys, these interviews, the red flag guys, you know, uh, really trying to figure out who these kids are. Um, but they did that, too, at the Senior Bowl, Ben, more so because there's not restrictions. Am right, I right. You can talk to everybody. Yes. Everybody talks to everybody at the Senior Bowl. Yeah. The combine, it's 15 minutes. You, you know, you have this X amount of interviews to hand out. You can only do them for so long. And I'm sure those rules get bended. But at the same time, yeah, you're limited in what you can do. And so I think the combine to a point is kind of overblown yeah it's it's a good tv event in terms of like nfl networks here for seven days and and here's you know all the positions and everybody gets to talk at a podium and that's great but nfl wise really like we talked about it's the undercurrent it's stuff that's going on at the watering holes the talking about the contracts it's the the adrian peterson thing last year where mark dominic and you know all that kind of stuff comes out ben dogra i think mark dominic saw the whole thing and might have even broken it up i'm you know that's right you hear different stories but yeah ben dogra and rob brzezinski getting into a little bit at the combine yeah and those kinds of things where those are the conversations that are happening that are really meaningful and we'll find out heading into free agency what that means for them i think we talk about receiver i think linebacker is a dark horse position and i'm saying that even if they bring chad greenway back sure because uh, we know it's for one year if that's if that's what it's going to be yeah um well, who's their third linebacker you thought gerald hodges was going to be that for a while until they shipped him out and, and so now it's like okay audi cole's a free agent but have you seen enough of him uh, and now i think you got to try to get a third guy in there if you're going to play that base personnel as much as they did which still it's 30 40 percent uh but that's still a big part of your defense yeah and and one thing that you could ask is is that how much they want to play in the base or could they get to a point where they say we have corners we trust that can handle themselves yeah. and we have linebackers that can cover i mean especially with captain as a nickel guy right uh, yeah. i mean if you can get to a point where you can stay in base on third and four and you're not that worried. I mean, and this would require getting more linebackers that can cover people. Probably Eric Kendricks getting better at it than he was as a rookie. He certainly seems like he's got the capacity to do it, but we need to see more of that. But you, I mean, this is what you see Seattle do is that they stay in their base a lot of times where you wouldn't think that they necessarily would because they trust their corners. They trust Earl Thomas to be able to cover people. And they think we can keep our linebackers on the field on third down, you know, not third and 12, but yeah, yeah. third and five or third and four, where there's still some question of whether a team might try to run the ball. They can do that because they trust those linebackers to cover and they trust that secondary to be able to fend for itself. And you saw the Vikings do that in nickel when they had all the injuries to Barr, to Kendricks. Yeah, you're right. You saw them do that where they kind of trusted Munderland being that run, really strong run defender that he is. So that's a good point. That's a good point. Safety is another one. I yeah. wonder how much because Ben, I think you were telling me or, or some. Uh, Andrew Sandejo is an interesting case. Yeah, Sandejo is an interesting case in that they went back to him after he got healthy, even after Terrence Newman and the Trey Waynes thing kind of worked in Arizona. They they went back to Sandejo. You kind of wonder, hey, if Terrence comes back, could he play safety? But I just don't know if he's got the speed to do that with what Mike Zimmer does. But here's the thing, Mike, like, he, like we talk about, Mike Zimmer takes the pieces every spring and finds out what's he, what's he going to do then. I think we get in trouble, or at least I'm sure I do, in thinking, okay, this is what they do. Who's going to fit it? Well, no, that's not necessarily the case, obviously. They're going to bring in people, but safety's a spot where you go, 
they could give Anderson Dale a contract extension and roll with him, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's a, certainly a possibility. I mean, I, I would not have said that at this time last year. No. And I don't I don't think he's ever going to be a guy where you sit there and say, "Okay, we're we're all set." But I if I have been of the opinion that if there is one position where they are going to say, "Okay, we can get by with a guy who's just average here." Mm-hmm. That might be it. I mean, in that on that defense, I mean, if you look at the other 10 spots, I'm not sure there's another one where you would sit there and, and say, we don't necessarily have to have an impact player. Yeah. I mean, and maybe the other safety spot, I mean, you have a little bit of a luxury there because you have one in Harrison Smith, but mm-hmm. maybe those safeties, you wouldn't sit there and say that. I, I guess I can't sit there and think, he had all of these dynamic safeties in in Cincinnati, and and you know a couple of those guys will hit free agency next month, and maybe we'll get to see what he thinks of those guys. Now there's that he's some, calling his own shots. Yeah, there's some interesting free agents at safety. Yeah, there are, yeah. and and I think that's certainly something worth watching. I mean, guys like Reggie Nelson and George Iloka and, and guys like that. But you might be able to get by with him with Sendejo, and he would certainly be cheap enough, especially when you're going to pay Harrison Smith. Yeah. That, I mean, it's something you wonder about. I mean, a guy like Anthony Harris, I think, showed some things at the end of the season that you might want to take a longer look. Anton Exum, you know, he's if he's anything more than just a guy, you know, to use that great NFL cliche, you'll probably find that out at yeah. some point here next year. But they, it certainly would not cost a lot to bring Andrew Sandejo back and say, we at least have a guy here that's been in the system that – does some good things, certainly, in run support. He can fly around and hit people. Yeah, he takes too many chances sometimes. Yeah, he overpursues things, but... He can't make plays on the ball. Right. There's that <laughs> issue, and that's been an issue in the secondary for a long time. It but, has, absolutely. But you at least kind of know what you have there, and it would not, I guess, shock me if they said... And he's a good special teams player. Oh, I, yeah. I think he's one of Mike Prefer's favorites in yeah, terms no of just question. what he brings, kickoff teams, punt teams, that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, so I think there's there's a possibility he's back. Yeah, I would have to agree there. And you're right, whether it's just opening up competition for Anthony Harris and those kind of guys, maybe bringing in a free agent like they did Taylor Mays last year, even though that didn't work out. Uh, there's different things they could do. And you wonder, I bring up linebackers, Sandejo could even be a kind of guy where he's that Mark Barron, where he's almost yeah. like a, a weak side linebacker if you want to keep Kendricks in the middle and, and shift what you do if you like an Anthony Harris or you bring back Newman to Kinda play. Kind of like what they do with Taylor Mays in Cincinnati. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so if you've got the personnel, there's there's ways you can do that. And I think Sandejo brings that kind of interesting safety, almost linebacker hybrid if you don't trust him in coverage, like he hasn't necessarily right. been as sound. So Yeah, and the, the danger there is you have so many things you like to do with Terrence New- or excuse me, Harrison Smith yeah. that – you have to have somebody back there. That's a good point. I don't view – I think Mike Zimmer said something interesting last year about Earl Thomas, saying he's kind of that windshield wiper guy. Like he's got such long range mm-hmm. in coverage. Yeah. I don't know if Harrison Smith's that guy. No, I, I don't think he's that. He's I mean, more – maybe he's... Maybe my point was just move. Maybe Harrison is more of a box safety than we think, or I think. Yeah, I, I think he does a lot of things well. I would not say he's a great coverage guy like Earl Thomas. I mean, part of the reason Seattle does what they do and can get away with it is that Earl Thomas can man up on receivers, yeah. and they can get away with that. That's why he's the highest he's, paid guy in yeah, the league. He's safety. really, really good. Yeah. Um, you know, so you could go the other way with all of this as we sit here and argue against ourselves and say, <laughs> we need another guy. I mean, I think that's why everybody thought a guy like Devin McCourty or Raheem Moore made so much sense last year is yep. that we can go get another guy that can play a deep third or a deep half or be the only guy back and we can free up Harrison Smith to do other things. Problem with that is if you're going to pay Harrison Smith and they are, you he's have a feature. To, he's a feature yes. and yep. you can't 
necessarily go out and sign another safety that's going to cost big money. Yep. So if there's a guy that you can get back there that can play coverage, maybe that makes some sense. Can you get a guy that can do that or draft a guy that can do that and bring back Anderson Deho for some other things? Probably. They'll have the money to do it. And we're talking about a defense, too, that just won the division and ranked fifth in points with Anderson Deho starting yes. 13 games. So, Anderson Deho, I will say, I think has improved as an overall player. I think he yeah. is better at picking his spots and not – I mean, you know, you see things like the game against Seattle where he misses the tackle. Drops the pick Rawls. against Seattle as well. Yeah, and yeah. Eddie Lacy yeah. gets away from him against the Packers. I mean, there, there are those things. But I do think he has improved as a player beyond where he was – a year or two into this thing with that let's transition into what greg jennings had to say about ryan Tannehill. everybody remembers greg jennings uh he, he's not only an nfl wide receiver he's kind of a quarterback comment aficionado <laughs> he says about ryan Tannehill. he tells espn uh i believe it was james walker is your yes, guy with the james dolphins. walker is our dolphins writer so we don't know who Ryan Tannehill is. This is Greg Jennings talking. But we want him to be this great guy, this great quarterback, this franchise quarterback. But no one has given him the freedom, the luxury to call plays, make checks, to do the right thing or to do the things that a great quarterback will have the opportunity to do. Close quote. That makes me think of Teddy Bridgewater. And I say this because I remember after the Arizona game, uh, you know, when Norv Turner was catching Hellfire missiles uh, for the play call. Uh, obviously, the ending with the strip sack, uh, the long developing play. Teddy saying, I just had to wait for it to develop. That's why I didn't get rid of it. Um, Norv Turner saying, no, there was an outlet. It was a great play. Somebody pushed him and said, uh, "Does Teddy? did Teddy have the ability to check out of that play? And Norv didn't answer it, kind of skirted around it. Then someone asked him again, did Teddy have the ability to check out? Norv said there was no reason to check out of that play. And I think Teddy said, I think Teddy got asked and he said, I did not have the opportunity to check out of that that sets the table for saying that teddy does not nor should a second year quarterback first full if you know first full year as a starter should he be given the keys to the entire car obviously that's not the case but it opens up the conversation for when when should that happen i remember even his rookie year uh he he comes out and i think it was the redskins game he ends up changing a call at the line of the two points so there are times when he has the ability to change a the, play. The play that won the Jets game that year. Yes. They showed a zero blitz. He checked out, threw the screen to Jarius Wright. He's off to the races. Great point. So they give him freedom to do those kinds of things in certain situations, other situations not. Uh, you wonder at what point, because Teddy's always been the kind of guy where at least internally, externally, the praise about him has been his his head. Mm-hmm. The head on his shoulders, the intellect. I don't know how much that translates into football IQ, but one thing is... Last year, the big criticism of him was he needs to be more vocal. He needs to speak up. He needs to. So I think that's part of the step in that when he becomes more vocal, perhaps that's going to come with it in terms of that freedom. You got to wonder, though, the tug of war now between Norv Turner and the experienced offensive minds they have on this staff. Where does Teddy Bridgewater fit in in with his opinion and and his freedom in this offense? I think it's really going to be interesting. We talk about the coaching aspect of it, but how is that going to impact the quarterback and his freedom in the offense? Ben, what's your feeling on kind of the say Teddy Bridgewater has in this offense going into 2016? Well, I certainly don't think it was maybe where he wanted it last year. And I, I know that from, from having to talk to a few different people about it. I mean, there was definitely a, a time last year where he was frustrated with what was going on in the offense and how much 
what he liked and didn't like and what he preferred and didn't prefer, how much that was being listened to, I know was a source of frustration. And, and Mike Zimmer basically said that. I mean, towards the end of the season, Mike Zimmer got asked about Teddy. He said he's a pleaser. He doesn't always say exactly what he wants or doesn't want in the offense. And I asked Zimmer about it again the next day, and he said, well, we've talked about it. He and I have talked about it. Sometimes he'll tell me about it, then I have to go tell Norv about it. So I, some of it, I think, is Teddy needing to be probably a little more assertive, and, and I, I don't know that anybody in that situation – I mean, me at 33, if I'm in that situation, I'm not sure that I'm going to sit there and say, yeah, you don't know how you do your job. Listen to me. I mean, We're talking about a 23-year-old kid who has a Hall of Fame running back behind right. him and a very experienced not only head coach but offensive yeah, coordinator. If I'm not yeah. comfortable doing that at 33 <laughs> in, in any job, I yeah, mean, that's a hard yeah. thing to do, to go yes. to your boss and say yeah. – you don't really know what you're doing or at the very least I want you to do things differently and I want you to kind of make me look good rather than me trying to do what you're saying. That is a tough thing to say to somebody, but I also think there needs to be a trust level that develops between all of the principals in this offense, Norv Turner, Teddy Bridgewater, Adrian Peterson, where, I mean, specifically those three, where everybody – knows how the other one is going to look good and everybody is going to be on the same page rather than this sort of I have my way of doing things that I've always done and I can't really make anything else work. Well, and we've talked about it at length too. I think the tug of war between what Adrian does well and what Teddy does well did throw a wrench into that no entire question. thing. No Absolutely. question. And, and that's that was a tough predicament Norv Turner would have been in to try, you know, or he was in uh, last year trying to figure out how do you balance that. And really that going back, that Arizona game was the first time that Teddy kind of said that was a comfortable game plan. Outside mm-hmm. of the final play, that was something he threw for a career high in yardage. They nearly won without three defensive starters. Uh, that was something where you found, okay, they finally started to click here. Then I think the next game was Chicago where he accounts for five touchdowns. Yeah. That kind of started off something where you go, okay, maybe you know they're starting to turn the offense more toward what Teddy wants to do. Uh, and, and you didn't hear any complaints from Adrian. Instead, you just heard him saying, I want to be a better fit for that. Yeah. And that's something now going forward, maybe they've rectified that to a sense of, okay, now they're centralizing this over the quarterback and, and moving forward with that, he's going to be the, the piece of that puzzle that you really got to try to fit. The thing to me is now it'll be interesting in his second full year as a starter, how much control does he have at the line on those kinds of things? Because this isn't going to be the same system. A quarterback has to be comfortable, right, in the system that you're in. Yeah. And he's now had, you know, going into this, he's had a lot of different offenses. Even though it's been the same coordinator, Adrian Peterson changed the system. Yes, he did. It's basically like they played two different offenses. Exactly. And now moving forward, you have even more voices bringing in even more different kind of um, uh, experiences yeah. and approaches. Yeah, no question. So. I, I'm not sitting here banging the table saying you've got to give Teddy a bunch of freedom because he has to learn this offense, just like they have to learn how they're going to craft it around him. So I think this process will take a little bit in figuring out. It, it might be 2017, 18 until Teddy has that kind of full control of, of this offense, like they're saying about Ryan Tannehill in Miami. Yeah, and I think I think there's some sort of massaging that has to happen so they figure out exactly what the right blend is. Teddy, yeah. I think, needs to get better at doing some of the Norv Turner staples, yep. the posts over the middle I'm not saying he has to throw the ball 35 yards down the field all the time, but being able to hit those 18 to 20 yard throws to a receiver running a post, the accuracy, Kyle yeah, Rudolph yeah. hitting him over the middle, that kind of thing, those are are staples of this offense, and it's been successful in the past. I mean, yes, there are things that probably need to change about it, but 
Norv Turner has won with that offense for a long time, and, and those throws are, are throws that work in the NFL, and, and especially you know teams that are playing zone, you know, those kinds of things that leave the middle of the field open sometimes. I mean, you can beat zone coverage with those things, and and I you know I think we will see him try to get better at that. I do think, however, it's fair to wonder how much freedom he will get. I, you know, I, some of this is a new way of thinking, and and Norv Turner has probably not had to do that as much over the course of his career. I, you know, I've, I've heard different people say that this is not an offense where the quarterback has quite as much freedom inherently as some others do. And if you're Aaron Rodgers, you probably get that over time. But or if you're Philip Rivers yeah. in San Diego, yeah. where you earn that right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's probably a situation where if you're Norv Turner, you're saying, okay, I know what I do works. I've done this for a long time, and you have to prove to me that you understand it enough that I'm going to turn a big portion of it over to you because otherwise we might just be better off doing things the way we do them. I'm not saying that that worked all the time last year, and I'm not saying that – I mean, it's one of these things where the the answer probably, as it does with most things, lies in the middle somewhere. Yeah. But I don't know that year three even is going to be the year where they say, okay, Teddy, you've got – control of the whole playbook at the line I, th- I think there's still going to be some limitations to that that's my point here yeah that that's my point in that I think you you hear year three for a quarterback and go yeah that's when you're supposed to but this is a real unique situation in terms of the offenses they've gone through the pieces that have gone through and now the personnel and ideas they're going to have yeah it's really going to be interesting to see what kind of offense they craft and what kind of control Teddy's going to have in that but yeah this is going to be something where I don't I can't assume it's going to be best for the Vikings that he has control right away because you're right. You've got a veteran OC who knows what he wants, uh, and right now you've got a young quarterback who's feeling his way through a lot of different approaches on offense. Well, and and a lot of this is, I mean, I, I just wonder how much of this would look better if he gets an offensive line that protects him. I mean, I, oh, I think absolutely. that, yeah. it, I mean, you could maybe leave everything else the same, and if that is better, I think you'll see a noticeable improvement in this offense. The other thing, as it comes to mind with Teddy, is that part of the reason they took him was because of how much he was able to put on his plate in college. I mean, you hear his offensive coordinator in college, Sean Watson, talk about this guy had a lot of control at the line of scrimmage. He was running an offense where he had to make checks. It wasn't simply one of these you know, spread offenses that you see where it's you got four options, take a three-step drop, throw the quick pass. There were There was more that Teddy had to do with the line of scrimmage than a lot of people would and I think that was one of the things talking to Norv Turner through that process was sort of a lot of it for him is saying how much can you process information how quickly can you digest this stuff and learn how to handle it so I think that was one of the things that attracted them to Teddy Bridgewater in the first place is the fact that I mean you hear all the stories about him putting the offense in you know in in his college football games or in Madden or whatever I mean we talk about this a lot but He's a guy that likes that kind of stuff. He's a guy that says, okay, let me see what I can do with this play. How would I run it in a game situation? He's not a guy that, that is afraid of studying tape or a guy that says, no, I've put in my time today. I'm going to be done with it. He wants to learn all that stuff, and I think as they go and as he shows he can do it, he he certainly is capable of handling more of it. Yeah, and as we sit here in mid-February, I assume the main storyline for Teddy Bridgewater this offseason not only is going to be the the shape the offense takes in general, but yeah, his aggression in it in terms yeah. of his his aggressiveness or assertiveness, I should say, with the coaching staff and saying, hey, this is what we should do, this is what I want. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, on a lighter note, 
got to see U.S. Bank Stadium. No pun intended. The natural light looks pretty dang good on her. The $1.1 billion, that was the first thing I took away from it. Now, obviously, this stadium is nowhere near finished on the inside. It's got a dirt floor. The club spaces are completely empty. And obviously, the 2,000 televisions are not completely rigged up throughout this entire thing. Um, But it was a great view to be able to walk through there and see, okay, this is the scope of what it's going to look like. And the biggest thing I got out of it, because we, the Vikings took the media on a tour uh, of U.S. Bank Stadium this week in February. They touted it as near 90% complete. Um, and the biggest thing I took away from it is the sight lines in it and the natural lighting from it. That that roof, I think, works really well. I was just happy the press box isn't in the IDS tower. <laughs> I mean... You know, we we I thought they might have there. it like underground and be like, "We'll we'll wire TVs to you guys. It'll be all right." Yeah, I mean, I, I was impressed <laughs> with that. No, I mean, in all seriousness, uh, it it is going to be an impressive facility. I mean, you mentioned the natural light. I was talking to Lester Bagley a little bit at the end of the tour, and we're sitting there, and he points out like there aren't lights turned on in this building right yeah. now. I mean, yeah. there they had. I mean, there were a few. I think in the in the the club we went into in the, the Hyundai Club, I think it was, and you see a few lights throughout the building, but it's not like they have the scoreboards lit up and that they have no. overhead lights on or I mean all of the light that was in there yesterday and it was plenty to see and it was cloudy yeah it, it was, was a overcast. cloudy day and yeah. and you're sitting there saying there's it's pretty light in here and, and that's unique too i think that and you wrote about how the how the roof basically is starting kind of a trend through the NFL because you look at it and go that makes perfect sense cuz you it it struggled to have a retractable roof in that kind of a scenario yeah. obviously uh, being in minnesota uh, so what's the great compromise? I think that's it, and it well, worked well. Yeah, and, and Lester Begley talked about that yesterday when I talked to him too. Is you know they they talked to Indianapolis about it. They said, yeah, we open our roof a couple times a year. They don't have drainage, right? Right. I mean, <laughs> and it's it's something so they where can't open it, and it costs more. I mean, yeah, this was yeah. not the most expensive stadium in the NFL. I mean, we sit there and say nine hundred seventy five million when they passed the bill for it in the legislature back in twenty twelve. That's nothing to sneeze at, but this is not the most expensive stadium that we're going to see come down the line here. So they didn't have the money to necessarily say, yeah, we're going to spend two, $300 million on a roof that we're going to open a couple times. This is cheaper. It's lighter. Um, the, to, to me, the fact that you could still do a flyover. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That is. I, I mean, you know, I'm a guy that, I mean, I prefer, I'm, I'm always a guy that says, let's make it outdoors. Let's have it be in the elements. You know, America. All of that. Yeah, I, mean, just, I think that's the way football should be played. But I also know that part of the reason you built this thing is to get the Super Bowl, to get the Final Four, to be in the running for the college football playoff championship mm-hmm. game. I mean, all of those types of events are need, part of the reason they did it. Need to be indoors. Yes. Yeah. You can't have it be outdoors, especially for those winter events. I mean, heck, if you had the Final well, the Final Four has to be indoors regardless. But you could have a college football championship game where it's if you know it would have been that same weekend as the uh the playoff game here where it's six below and you got all these college guys from you know alabama and in oregon or something and you know these freewheeling offenses that it just doesn't work so yeah no quarterback can throw the ball and yeah yeah. that wouldn't be good tv at all so um you know for for espn the broadcaster of the college football playoff (laughs) you know we want to see good tv so um yeah I, i i get why they did it and i think it was a good compromise. It was interesting to hear Lester, Lester Bagley say yesterday that we're going to keep those glass doors open as long as we can, mm-hmm. let some of the elements come in. I don't know how much of a difference that's going to make. I don't think you're going to be sitting there if they keep them open in October and saying, boy, it feels like it's 50 degrees in here. 
that that's probably not going to be the case. Well, but you're going to get some fresh air. It's still going to be air conditioned. Yeah, is my assumption. I, I think they want it to be 68 degrees all the time. Yeah, but if you're sitting there on a uh, you know on a late September day and there's light in there, yeah, it's just. I mean, I can remember going to you know going to the U back in the dark ages, literally in some ways when you would go to your college football games at the Metrodome and you mm-hmm. walk in there and on October Saturday and it's perfect outside. And I remember thinking you know, when I was covering the team, especially like this is a great way to waste three hours inside on a Saturday and you know, the dark dingy stadium, you're still going to be inside, but you at least if the natural light comes through as much as it does on those sunny fall days that we get around here, that's still pretty good. And we're talking about helpers for Teddy Bridgewater. That. Being indoors, I think, yeah. is going to be one for him just in general. Uh, I mean, I think you see his stats outdoors compared to indoors and any quarterback. Conventional wisdom says that perfect conditions are obviously a quarterback's best friend when throwing the football, but especially a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, who does not have the Joe Flacco arm that's going to cut through wind. He doesn't have – I think specifically with a guy like that, he could really benefit – you know, uh, from that kind of a environment, more so yeah. than your normal quarterback. And he didn't grow up playing in cold weather either. He grew up in Miami. Yeah, I mean, he even played in Louisville. Where what was the coldest game he played in? Forty degrees, yeah. thirty-eight, something like that. I mean, yes. what we would consider a balmy spring day here. <laughs> so sweatshirt yeah. and shorts weather, baby. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you know what we're gonna have this weekend. Basically, you're gonna see yep. people out in tank tops. But so uh, that's something that yeah, yeah it I, certainly helps. I think it could help out Teddy Bridgewater. Now, if that playoff game against Seattle were played indoors. I'm sorry. I don't think they win that or come close to winning. It helps that. Russell Wilson that's, too. That's just it. My point was, I think Russell Wilson goes buck wild and hits some of those deep shots, and, and that that actually hurts you as opposed to helps you. But yeah, there's no question in my mind the weather played a big role in that game. I mean, both, it changed game plans. Yeah, yeah, it affected the way everybody performed. Absolutely, it had an effect. Yeah, so that'll be interesting to see moving forward how that helps. Mr. Teddy Bridgewater. Adrian Peterson's looking forward to it, too. He has made no bones about the fact that he wants to be inside. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, And I think, too, that when we're talking about U.S. Bank Stadium, obviously the Super Bowl is coming. This is a team that is positioning itself well in terms of the, the events that are on the horizon. This isn't a three. If this were 2011, three and 13 team, oh, yay, you're opening a stadium. Woo. You know, but this is a thing where you go, wow, they could, you know, if they could continue on this. Tra- first team ever to play a Super Bowl in its home stadium. Exactly. You look at the trajectory they're on and what they're setting a top five defense in Mike Zimmer's first year and an offense that really has nowhere to go but up. Yeah. That's, and, that's it. And the question is if we're talking about that Super Bowl now, you're two years down the road. Two years, yeah. Basically, I mean, what is your offense going to look like at that point? Is Adrian Peterson still going to be here? Those are all questions that we will be debating at this time next year on this thing. Oh, we got plenty of time. But the trajectory, certainly, I mean, this was the goal the entire time. The the goal was to be on the upswing with plenty of positive momentum going into this stadium. That's a large part of the reason they brought Adrian Peterson back. It's been the focus of a lot of things they're doing. There is no question that the Wilfs want to see a team that is going to be worthy of some buzz as they come into that stadium, and they have it. There's no question. So wait, you're saying Adrian's not going to be traded? I am saying that. (laughs) Whatever hot takes you read between now and the draft, I would be shocked if Adrian Peterson is not here. Me too. Even though this time last year I was exactly saying that they should trade him. Yeah, I think at this time last year a lot of us were were debating it. In fact, I think – 
at this time last year was when the Vikings were saying, yeah, we want him back, we want him back. They kind of went on that crusade right before the Combine. So This time last year, actually, I was at the Combine uh, about to go out to dinner thinking I was done with a day's work when you talked Sorry. to Adrian Peterson and he had to say he was uneasy about returning and the entire NFL world was turned on, upside its head and you probably started the fight between Ben Dogger. Uh, well, I, no, I don't, I don't know joking. if I did or not. I'm joking. I, I'm but joking. it was that same night. It, you yes. know, I remember that morning, that Friday morning when that whole thing came out. I was sitting there like, hmm, this occurred several hours after this story was published. Did this have something to do with it? I mean, I don't know if it did or not. I mean, it might have happened either It'd way. It'd only be natural. If I'm in that position, if I'm in the Vikings, if I'm a Viking executive, now I have zero qualifications to be so. So take this with uh, a rock of salt. I would be pretty pissed off, yeah, if Adrian just went off and said, I'm uneasy about returning before you really start and sit down and have real conversations about whether or not he's returning. I'd be pretty mad. Yeah, I, I you know, I, <laughs> but it, it could have been. The timing was certainly interesting. Yeah, he can say whatever he wants, obviously. And the point is, is that he came back to Minnesota and led the league in rushing. And I don't see him going anywhere either. No, I don't either. Are they going to have any cross-country events at this stadium? In, can like you? Inside? I guess you just have to run around you a track around if you the, create you one. You can run around the concourse. I mean, they used to do that at the Metrodome all the time. You used to go Wait, like an actual that. event? Like a cross-country event? No, they didn't have events, oh. but you can run around the concourse. <laughs> I mean, you, I suppose you could. Well, you wouldn't have a cross-country event because it'll be... I mean, you can't use spikes in there. I mean, and and background, ever, to people who don't know, Ben is uh, one of the cross-country coaches at Apple Valley hey. High School. And um, you're a big cross-country nerd. Yeah, I am a big cross-country nerd. In fact, I, I have tried with no success to talk to you and Derek about oh. cross-country analytics yeah no uh, I've, I've tried to pitch David McCoy over at CCO on a cross-country highlights show and my he eyes just in that my either. eyes just rolling everybody's doing and glaze over. it's a great sport like give it a chance is it a sport yeah how is it not a sport <laughs> you're running wanted, for like 18 minutes you're just trying to get me going you're you're doing <laughs> battle not only with your self physically but you're sitting there staring death in the face maybe not death but certainly <laughs> a lot of discomfort saying can i do this can i go on how much do i push there's sort of this mental battle between you and the guy you're racing do i let him go do i keep fighting him i have to fight with myself to get there how much do i want to hurt i mean it's great theater i mean really everybody should check it out we well, should have a cross-country so podcast. it's sport and theater absolutely we we should talk more cross-country on this show and i have a feeling the listeners would agree. Too bad the old voice of NFL Films is gone, because I would love to see him narrate a cross-country race. I mean, the state meet in November is cold. the track. <laughs> yeah, it's just not, not on the track. I'm sorry. Cross-country is not on the track. Sorry. You've made this mistake before. Sorry. And I'm not going to allow it on this show anymore. They are different sports. What was the story I wrote, too? I'd written something. I think it was on Daniel Hunter. You made me mad with that. And there yeah, I thought something. it was a good story. And he just storms into the Vikings media room and just goes, I have a bone to pick with you. Cause I wrote like in the final heat or was it? Yeah. In, you you it, talked about, I wrote something. A term was wrong. You did not use uh, preliminary heats correctly in a track meet. It no, I think it's, it was effect. like preliminary or something. Either way, something some to that nerd effect. thing that yes. I'm not going to have any idea about, and nor will 90% of our readers. Yeah. But well. Ben just jumps in and goes, yeah, you're you're just a terrible human being. I, I I'll was take try, it. I'll I was wear it. I trying to challenge you to be better. I want to get your gauge, though, on what... How are we still far, talking about cross-country and track, or are we going back to football? No, no, no. We're still talking about other sports. Okay. What where, where does the line stop with sport? Is dance a sport? You have two little girls. I and I'm sure that they may one day be it. They is, may. Is, is that a sport? 
Now, you know two, how much trouble we're going to get we're in white we have this conversation, here. Oh, right? come on. We're talking to an NFL audience, and there's four people left at 40 minutes in this podcast. <laughs> we may have ran them all off with cross-country talk for the last five minutes anyway. Um, uh, I, I have a hard time saying that it is. I mean, that not is because almost the same thing as – think about it. Your reasoning for cross-country is almost the same thing. Oh, that, come on. Hold on. You are competing in heats where it, – it's like saying figure skating in the, in the Olympics. It's almost the exact same thing. You're not competing by yourself. You're racing other people at the same time. No, 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 no. I'm talking about dance. For, all right, let me rephrase. Figure skating in the Olympics is almost the same as dance, where it's like you are performing. Sure. But the performances yeah. are completely separate, and they're aside each other. They aren't, they aren't happening at the same time, obviously. And it's not... Is and it still is a physical activity though. It's still a exertion. It's still a... But then at the same time, I don't call weightlifting a sport. Yeah, and the Olympics would. I mean, exactly. at least at this point, they would. Yep. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting question where you draw that line. I mean, people always have this conversation with auto racing, yeah, because you're too. not doing the work. But I mean, I think anybody who has done that would say, okay, you're sitting in a car for four hours and it's 150 degrees. It's physically tiring. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, is it a sport because it's exertion? Is it a sport because you are the one doing the action? Is it a sport because there's a performance element involved? Because it's or a is judge. it a sport because it takes athletes, and then I wouldn't call golf a sport. That's the other Those one. Those kinds of things. That's the other one. Yeah. Um, you know, you could you could have that conversation all day. I, dance, I guess, is. I mean, it's a tough one just because there is a subjective element to a lot of that. But you could say the same thing about gymnastics and cross country. There's no subjective. <laughs> See, okay, this is going to be the last thing I say about this. Then I'm going to be done. And if <laughs> if in post production you could get the Battle Hymn of the Republic playing for what I'm about to say, oh I'd appreciate it. The beauty of a sport like cross country is it doesn't matter what the coach thinks of you. It doesn't matter what your teammates think of you. It doesn't really matter what another team is trying to do game plan wise. You line everybody up, you shoot the gun, you start the watch, and that's it. It is completely fair. It is completely subjective. There's no referee that is affecting the outcome of it. It is pure, simple sport in the way that the Greeks did it. So is bowling. Not the way the Greeks did, but bowling is the same way. There's no referee. There's no. T- it's pure in that if you're good. Is bowling a sport? No, because it's not physically demanding. So if golf, you're trying so, to so say golf, that bowling so, is the same level of exertion no, 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 as a cross-country race. I didn't mean that. No, no. I'm walking out of this I only, podcast I only right said now. It, I only said it in the sense that it is under the same um, circumstances when it comes to being fair, I guess. That's what I meant. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, golf, you could... Golf, same thing. But golf is not physically exerting like cross-country is. No, not in the same way. I would not say that golf is as much of a walk in the park as, as you're suggesting it is, but... Um, oh, I'm awful. I know it's difficult. I meant I, physically. Physically, I think there is a, oh, okay. an element to Come it. Come on, that man. Is... If John Daly can be good at it, that's my thing. Well, If John yeah. Daly can be good at it, then yeah. I'm like, all right, then it, it just takes technically sound, not physically sound. Do we have any more football stuff to talk about? Oh, no. We're, no. I don't think so. No. Well. <laughs> I want to thank you guys. everybody off probably for, at this point. Oh, people love Three people. So this is a test of the of your loyalty, listening public. We want to see how much you will put up with. And we thank you for the uh, checking out the Purple Podcast, the authority on all matters sports, what is and what is not a sport. Please check us out. Come back to 1500ESPN.com. Go to ESPN.com and check out Ben Gessling's work on the NFL Nation Vikings blog. Anything else you want to plug? Check out the Apple Valley cross-country team. You should check out the Apple Valley cross-country team and the Apple Valley track and field team. That will be uh, coming to... A stadium near you sooner than the Apple Valley cross country team will because that's not till next fall. But you uh, hear that, listener? Check it out. Check it out. <laughs> All right, go Eagles. A lot.
95% of Uber Eats orders are on time, which is great. Because when I want my spicy shrimp pad thai, I want it on time. Because, baby, there's no time like the present, especially when it's pad thai related. But on the off chance your order is late, Uber Eats will give you three months, $0 delivery fee with a free Uber One membership. On time, pad thai, baby. On time claim based on latest arrival time shown after order is placed. Offer ends to 19-2023. Current Uber One members not eligible. Subscription will auto-renew at nine ninety nine each month, starting three months from initial enrollment. See Uber.com slash Uber One for terms. Benefits available only for eligible stores. Order minimums apply.